Photographer Jim Marshall was entrusted with unprecedented access to many of the world's music legends and documented many of the greatest events in music history. His best-known images include candid photos of Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, Janis Joplin, Miles Davis, and the famous shot of Jimi Hendrix burning his smashed guitar at Monterey. Like his subjects, Jim Marshall was difficult, abrasive, passionate and a heavy drug user. We've got a photo gallery on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash standing room only. After his death, he left his hundreds of thousands of images to his long-time and long-suffering assistant, Amelia Davis. She worked closely with British documentary photographer and filmmaker Alfred George Bailey on a film about Jim Marshall, a screening in New Zealand as part of the touring Rosine Architecture Design Film Festival. I spoke to Alfred in the UK about Jim's ability to get close to his subjects. Alfred, I had the same problem as one of your interviewees, uh, Jim's friend Bruce Talamon, is where the hell do you start with, with the body of work, but also Jim's personality? I mean, did, were there surprises for you along the way as you spoke to friends um, and, and family and listened to his interviews? Um, did, were there surprises about Jim Marshall for you as a documentary maker? Well, I've got to say, Lynn, that... Um... I knew Jim and I knew his documentary work. So for me, I didn't realize the breadth of his work. And ironically, I recognized a lot of his work, which was um, jazz. But I didn't I didn't sort of like put that work with Jim Marshall because I thought Jim Marshall, rock and roll, folk, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I unconsciously, as a as a photographer and a and a creative, I lay I did this I did this thing. I didn't realize the the the, the depth of his work. So it was quite a surprise, a pleasant surprise, and also it was uh, mind blowing. Especially going when we went Tatiana Kennedy, the producer, and I went to San Francisco um, to be with Amelia Davis and Benita Passarelli, who are. Uh, the keepers of Jim's archive, especially Amelia, who was his assistant, who he left everything to. Um, uh, it's just mind-blowing. I can't even begin to tell you the amount of work that is not printed, and that's still on slide film, which is immense. It, it's They would like to endow the archive because it's so big that they still can't get through all of it. He's such an intriguing character a, a difficult man wasn't he he uh, he, he was yes. he was not he was not easy to get on with and it's and you know his his drug addiction didn't didn't help his binges but no. i was fascinated by the snippets of interviews that you ran in the documentary where he spoke about trust and this is what yeah. so many of you you know so many of those you spoke to said an artist he said lets you into their life as a trust, and to violate that trust as criminal. Is that what differentiated him, do you think? He got close to these these people because they could trust him. That's absolutely right, Lynn. I think Jim, I think he was one of those paradoxical human beings where I think it was all surface and bravado. And obviously he did have a temper and he did have all of these failings, but... When he was your friend, he was loyal and trustworthy. 
100%. You're never going to find a man who would be more loyal than him and trustworthy. So he, it's really funny, he was described by, um, funnily, Russell Brand after we won the uh, Grierson Award who, who presented us with the, with the award. He said Jim was like a photographic Zelig, you know, the character that Woody Allen created for the film, Zelig, who was an, an everyman. He would be among somebody who was black and he'd become black. He'd be somebody among Jewish, he was Jewish. He'd be among someone who was big, he'd become big. Jim would be among somebody who was a hell's angel, heavy biker, drug user. He was welcomed in. He would be amongst these amazing jazz musicians of the time, Miles Davis and, you, you know, John Coltrane. They would trust him and they would let him close. And in the film, as you know, People like that were very mistrusting of the press and somebody who wasn't black coming that close who they didn't know and they didn't feel, you know. But Jim, for some reason, was able to um, garner the trust of all the people he came across. And, you know, I think they felt that he was genuine and he was somebody who really cared about them and who cared about how they looked to the outside world. And they were they felt that they were allowed to be themselves and to and to almost let go of any kind of fake artificial or artifice when they were being photographed and um were just themselves and that's very rare now to find people who are not pretending or have fake and artificial relaxation when actually it's all being stage managed where Jim would never stand for anything like that, so trust for him was gained because the people he photographed, became friends with Jim, and they, they they just instantly loved him. And he was very honest. I mean, I think now he'd have a difficult time in the world today because I think he was brutally honest. Someone like Jim would tell you like it is, and because if they said, "Oh, I'd like you to be honest," then he'd be honest, and then they'll probably end up crying. And he said, "Well, I don't know what you're crying for. You told me to be honest." <laughs> you know, he's that kind of guy, I think, and and I know he would have been. And Amelia, you know, they had a great relationship. And she said he was, as you know, in the film, he was incredibly volatile. But also he he literally let go and trusted her. And he, you know, um, he could be guilty of all kinds of uh, outrageous behavior. But Amelia always came back and always looked after and made sure that she recognized the genius in him. That's why... You know, he um, he found someone who literally looked after his children, which was his work, his photographs. He never had kids, in, in you know, I think he would have been a terrible father. <laughs> he wouldn't have been around. The Janis Joplin series, Alfred, was actually one of my favourites. He got such beautiful oh. photographs of her, but that included backstage. And just, it might have been, I'm not sure if it was a few minutes or an hour, where she just had a slump. You could just see all the energy drained out of her, you know, and yeah. they were very candid photographs. And then the light bulb came back on and she was she was back. I, I just think that those photos of her were amazing. You see, the thing is, Janice and, and Jim had a very special relationship and uh, she really trusted him. Like Hendrix, she, she was able to be herself and really herself. So as you pointed out, I mean... She was backstage, and some people saw the photos and said, as you see in the film, that, you know, oh, I don't know your legs with this. And she was like, I don't care, this is me. And, you know, she was relaxed enough to sort of be on a sofa lying back with a bottle of Jack Daniels going, I've got to go out there and perform now. And I might not be in the mood, and I might not feel ready to do this. 
and Lynn, the thing, he captured all of those moments. So I think you know that I'm a photographer as well. That's how I started my journey, being doing photography and being a musician in a band and knowing I can get close to musicians. So having that trust and have been close. I don't do gig photography or the stuff on stage. I like everything leading up to someone gets on stage. And Jim was like that. He could do both, but you know, he had more access at that time. I mean, in, in terms of gigging photography when people were performing, which is the access you don't have now. But um, it's just knowing that she trusted him enough to say, it doesn't matter. Jim's there. He's just photographing. He's doing his thing. And she probably ignored him and let him photograph and I think he was able he was able to become invisible at certain moments. So they 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 just were just you saw them at the most intimate moments of their lives. You know? Yeah, there's that lovely shot and forgive me, I can't remember the musician, the guitarist who's just practicing in the bathroom. It's a beautiful, beautiful photograph. I'm sure he didn't know he was being photographed, but literally just just warming up, playing in the bathroom. It was Dwayne Allman. So Dwayne um, was, as Jim said, out of all the people he met, Dwayne was like a brother to him. So when Dwayne died, um, it really affected Jim badly. I mean, as, as, as in the film, he said he walked the city for for, for hours, you know, and it, it, I think he was really not, because they shared a lot together, and they, you know, he was like a kindred spirit to Jim. And I think, like Janice, it was one of the most intimate portraits of a of a of a person. Just in that moment, just in that 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 you know, I think um, one of the interviewers, I've forgotten his name. I'm really sorry. He's a, he's a journalist. He was a fantastic as well. He knew Jim very well. He said, um, you know, he couldn't believe that photograph when he saw it. He goes, "You would not believe there was no one else in the room." You know, it was like Jim was like a hidden camera to photograph someone like that and to, to to see to see that they didn't notice him or they didn't see him and they were in their innermost thoughts, innermost um, um, moments of just like you know he's rehearsing, he's 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 just standing in a bathroom somewhere, and I can't remember where that photograph was taken, but it's just it's just an amazing shot, you know. It's it's um, it's, yeah, it has a spirituality to it, I think. I think that's a very good description. It is absolutely beautiful. And then, on the other thing, there's lots of crowd shots. There's lots of gigs. There's, there's Woodstock. There's yeah. these big open concerts. And, of course, there's an image of Jimi Hendrix burning his guitar. I mean, I think what struck me was that I've seen a lot of these images. I didn't know they were Jim's. Um, but, but he had a great relationship with Hendrix, too. Yeah, I mean, Hendrix and Jim, I mean, one of the most famous pictures that Jim took of Hendrix was him burning his guitar um, at Monterey, at Monterey Park Festival, and the Who were there as well, and it launched a lot of careers, and Jim, when he came back from the UK and he played Monterey, he was, that was it, he set his, he set out the stall, this is me, this is my band, you know, Jimmy Hendrix experience, and the, you know, it was a legendary concert. But Hendrix told him, he said to Jim, have you got a lot of um, film? He goes, yep. And he said, Jim, do you have a, kind of like a little motor drive on your camera just in case I do so? He goes, yeah, yeah, I got everything. He goes, well, make sure you're up front stage, you know? And he goes, I will be. And and they, uh, and then basically they, um, they did that uh, 
concert and then Jim, um, Jimi Hendrix did that thing where he, he did that amazing gig and this, you know, the audience were freaked out and he put the, he smashed the guitar, put it on the floor and then got some Ronson lighter oil fluid and then lit it and it, 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 it was just, you know, and Jim captured that amazing photo of him with his guitar burning and then him like almost being like a, um, some kind of mystic in front of the guitar making these hand gestures like he's summoning something up. You know, it's just amazing, and the flames were leaping off the guitar. I mean, it's, it's, it's. I would have loved to have been there. <laughs> I was too. I was the day I was. I born. I can't remember. I don't know, um, but I don't think so. But I, I just think, wow, what would it have been like to have been there? And Jim was at these moments. He was at a lot of moments. He was there for the folk. He was there for the jazz. He was there for the blues. He was there for so many amazing, amazing moments in, in, in history. It's, it's incredible. He was there when Bob Dylan went electric. And again, there seems to be a large body yeah. of work with Bob Dylan, and they had a great relationship. I mean, a lot of Bob's shots are actually shot in, in the streets, which I found really interesting. Yeah. So he shot a lot of stuff with Bob in the street, and also he um, he got to know him and um, really well and... Uh, there's that trust thing that keeps cropping up where he's allowed to be, he's invited everywhere and allowed to be everywhere and allowed to be intimate and allowed to be close, you know? So there's that whole sense of Jim. I feel kind of like in the, in the best possible sense, creatively jealous of a man who could be at those moments to capture all of those, all of those incredible moments in history, you know? And they're not just mute. They're not just kind of gig photography. It's music and social history at those times. And I, like you, Lynn, I think I love his um, jazz festival crowd shots to see everybody together, black and white, at that time, which was a really. It was a very in the sixties, and to see them all dancing and laughing and sitting together, loving the music. And then it all changed much later, you know. It was very sad because that was the time when everybody was together and they were socialising and they were all there for the music. Some of the Woodstock shots. Some of the Woodstock shots are kind of interesting, aren't they? Where you've got uh, people who are who were crashed out, surrounded by rubbish, and just sleeping on the ground, you know, (laughs) all covered with Uh, mud. I I love some of those really candid shots. Yeah, I mean, those for me are really amazing as well because you know, obviously. Things like here, like Glastonbury, they, they they sort of tried to replicate it. But um, when you think about that whole time, it was that was the beginning of it. It's pouring with rain, and people are whacked out of their brains on some kind of whatever or just alcohol, hallucinogenics, marijuana. Who knows? Or they're just literally tired of hell from partying hard for like how many days, and then they just fall asleep in a with a blanket around them, not even a sleeping bag, <laughs> and then it's all mud and food, and oh, it's to me, it's a little bit too messy, but it, it, it's, uh, it, it, it must have been an amazing time to have that kind of that level of freedom, you know? Is there, a, is there a photograph that you would love to live with, you know, that you could have by the side of your bed or see every day? You know, is there one image that is particularly dear to you? That's uh, very unfair, Lynn. I know. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> well... Having worked on the film and Amelia Davis being so generous and kind uh, and appreciative of what I did for Jim and 
we all got images as gifts. So I have a few images. And I have a, she sent me some for my birthday as well, which blew, blew me away. They sent me some images for my birthday, which, which was a couple of Januarys ago while we were working on the film, towards the end, end of post-production. And, um, gosh, an image that I can't live without. This is really not fair. I think it might be just the Coltrane in contemplation. That's probably one of the most beautiful photographs ever. I love the Dwayne Allman. And ironically, I love some of the stones when they were in, when they were traveling. There's stuff when you see Mick Jagger on a plane when they when they're at the height of their power at that time, and he's looking out the window on a 747 jet or whatever jet it was. They had a private jet for themselves, but he looks alone, and he looks like you know this that kind of thing. Be careful what you wish for, you know. But um. I think it's got to be the Coltrane. There's a felonious monk picture, which I particularly love. But I have a picture which was given to me as a gift by Amelia, which is a, you're going to laugh. It's not of anybody. It's not of a person. It's of a thing. It's of a phone booth. Not a phone booth, a phone box. Like a box. It's a phone, um, a pay phone in a diner or something. And somebody has written, and definitely it was a hippie, it says, the sign says, don't say anything on this phone you wouldn't say to a cop. <laughs> it's one of my favourite pictures. I love that. Um, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to um, we'll have to skip over his Vietnam um, documentary work because they were extraordinary I too. I know, but we've got to let people see the film. But I but I just wanted to squeeze in um, a, a question, Alfred, about your new work because of course you're working on Jim's story um, just you know in the last few years. But I saw the trailer yeah. for I Still Breathe, and that just blew my socks off. What can you tell us about that? So I made a film during lockdown in the UK late summer of 2020 um, when George Floyd was, um, I don't know what to term to use, which is when he was killed, you know, when his life was taken. Um, obviously, the whole Black Lives Matter movement um, started to really grow and brew. And then after that, there was lots of protests and, 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 um, and, demonstrations around the world, especially in London, you know, because we're, you know, whatever happens in America, you know, if they sneeze in America, we catch a cold in the UK, that's, that's the thing. But um, um, there's lots of marches, and most people know, because I, I'm a photographer, that they were expecting me to go down as a photojournalist, uh, just, to, just to capture some of the images. And I, and I just wasn't feeling it, and I don't know why. And a friend of mine called me, I'll try and make this quick to make you understand how I got to do the film. And, and, I, and he says, are you going to go down and photograph? And I said, do you know what? I I don't know what it is, Ian. It's Ian Neal, who was the music supervisor on Jim Marshall. He said, are you going to go down? I said, I just, I don't know. I just, I want to do something different. I don't, I'm not feeling it. And he goes, whatever you do, I think it's going to be really special. I said, well, let's see. I don't know. And then at that time, I was meant to photograph one of the young people in it, and his name is Tam, who is in the film. And tomorrow, he's a music, he's a singer, songwriter, he's an amazing young young man. And it was that weekend that the marches were on in London. So um, the Monday morning after that weekend, I phoned him to arrange to do a shoot. We were going to do it socially distanced, you know, like a little mood shot in Soho because it's all empty. It would have been really cool. Um, and I said, what do you do the weekend? He goes, oh, we went to the marches. I said, oh, how was it? He goes, oh, it was amazing. I said, look, 
when I meet you, I said, would you mind if I just, I'll have a, two cameras, I can grab one and just, I'd like to just, just get your thoughts on the, on, on what, what was going on. If I film you, he goes, yeah, I'd love that, man, whatever. And then I said the, this question, I said this faithful question, I said, who did you go with? And he went, I went with eight of my friends. I said, do you think that was, I said, well, do you think they what? He goes, they'd love it. And then the whole thing took off from there. I spoke to his friends via what, uh, FaceTime. Then I spoke to another friend of mine, Adam Biskowski, actually, who is the editor of Jim Rush. And I told him that I'm thinking of making a little film, but he goes, you should do this properly. And then I, he goes, you really should take, you know, do this. And I didn't want to film it anymore because I filmed Jim Marshall and, and interviewed and, and I filmed my first film, the Gregory film. Those I shot and directed. But um, I spoke to another friend of mine, uh, Matteo, and I said, uh, I'm thinking of doing this. He goes, I'm in. <laughs> and then I spoke to another friend of mine. And they, everybody said, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then we got kids. And then we found an amazing location, the Battersea Arts Center. They had other people who were, they said, we got these other young people who are really politically aware and they'd love to talk. And that's how it grew. And then uh, I, I wanted them in a safe space, Lynn, where young people could just talk, not at a rally, not at a march, not anywhere where they're taking on other people's energies and anger. It's, I wanted them to be clear-headed. And I knew the questions I was going to ask them. And um, and sometimes I can tailor it once I got to see the person and I can, you know, and I don't talk much in interviews. But I um, I had specific questions I needed to ask and I asked them and they uh, let them flow. And then that's how we did it. We filmed it properly. Two of the guys who, were on, who did the lighting room were in 1917. They came off that film with uh, Roger Deakins. They were assisting him. Um, and then my friend, the sound designer, John Warhurst, he's, Oscar winner for um, Bohemian Rhapsody. He did the sound design for the film. So I got all of these creative people who were just doing stuff. It was slightly free, and some were free because they, you know, the, the music industry was, um, film industry was still in a little slump from the first lockdown. But it was starting to slowly, ever so slowly, open up a bit. And they all said yes. The post production house who did my first film said they'll do the post production. Said yes. So it all came together there, and, and I'm and I'm really blessed. I will send you it. I'll send you the full film. It's a short film, um, and it's already doing well at the festivals. It's won a couple of awards already. So I'm really touched, and I'm I'm it, it, it was a film that needed to be made. I think, and I wanted these people to these young people to have a to speak openly, candidly, without any sort of rancor, and without any sort of um. I'm trying to think of the right words, but just so they can just say what's on their minds and how they feel about what's been going on in the world. No, and no if, filter. And what, and, what, and what happened to... Yeah, no filter. But yeah, absolutely. And just to say how they thought about what happened in America with George Floyd and then how they feel about being in the UK. There's a lot of women in the film because I thought generally with subjects like this, it's very male-centric and I wanted to hear the young female voice who is very articulate, very politically and socially aware, you know, and it's it's amazing if you put people in the right space, what they come out with if you let them speak. Alfred George Bailey and his documentary, The Story of Jim Marshall, is going to be showing in Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch and here in Dunedin as part of the Rosine Architecture Design Film Festival. And the full interview is going up on our webpage.